Welcome to Calling Game, brought to you by Mediate. I'm Kelsey Trainer here with my co-host Amba Jagnarine. Hey, everybody. Today we are joined via Skype by UConn great, NCAA national champion, WNBA all-star, Naismith Basketball Hall of Famer, WNBA college basketball analyst, and reporter Rebecca Lobo. Thank you for joining us, Rebecca. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. <laughs> if that's a long resume, I could have kept going on, but <laughs> I think I would have ran out of breath. Um, so, first of all, you just wrapped up the WNBA season with what was an incredible series between the Washington Mystics and Connecticut Sun. Um, and as a player, you've been in those moments. But what was it like to call those games? Oh, it was great. You know, we, we had a great final series. It went um, all five games. There was a lot of back and forth. It was really well played. I One of the things I so enjoy about covering the WNBA now is um, – being courtside for just incredible women's basketball, incredible basketball. Um, you know, the, the sport has grown so much since uh, the WNBA was started 23 years ago. It, the, the players are so good. Everything is high level. The atmosphere was great during the finals. Um, so it, it's, my favorite, it's my favorite sport to cover. I absolutely love covering the WNBA playoffs, especially the finals when you get into an extended series just to watch, you know, the different things that the coaches are going to do and when it becomes a chess match at that stage. Uh, it's really a lot of fun, and um, it's one of my f- absolute favorite times of the year in, in terms of what I do for my work. And this, I mean, this series, I mean, went five games, um, and you had, obviously, you have Elaine Deladon, one of the best players around right now. She played with three herniated discs. What was the atmosphere amongst the players? I mean, did they realize they were in this fantastic series? Yeah, it, it was cool because you had a, um, a bit of a contrast between the two teams as well. You know, I had this Washington team that had a few more veterans on it. Uh, they played in the finals last year and, and lost to Seattle in the finals. Elena Deladon, it's her third time going to the finals with two different teams. Christy Tolliver, one of their veterans, uh, the only player who played in the finals who, who had actually won a championship, which she had done uh, a few years ago out in Los Angeles. So you had a group that was a little bit more seasoned and experienced in the moment. And then you had this young upstart Connecticut Sun team who didn't have a player on their roster who was even 30 years old until <laughs> during the finals when um, when Jasmine Thomas turned 30, a team that um, you know felt like they were disrespected in some ways because people had been talking about them not as being full of stars, but you know, a team that was made up slight, a little bit more of unknown players. And so you had those two very different vibes from the from the teams, and it worked well for for each of them. And um, and you know, you, you, I think the the Washington team they had a motto this year, you know, run it back because they hadn't won the whole thing last year after being in the finals. Um, but it was it, it was a delight to cover. And uh, and and another reason I, I I love the WNBA in in this this series in particular was the all of the players are wonderful for us deal with the both coaches were wonderful for us to deal with they would be honest with us they give us good insight they would treat us professionally the organizations for both teams the the same uh it makes our jobs easier and more fun when you're dealing with good people and from the 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 gm and president of the connecticut sun and and same with washington down all the way through their staff and players, they were a delight for us to deal with. And um, when you're away from your family and you're on the road, and yeah, you're covering these great games, but it makes a difference when when the people um, when the people are just good people to be around. 
Yeah, that makes so much sense. And I recently saw, I think it happened yesterday or the day before, um, a report came out in Sports Illustrated that a reporter for the Houston Astros was in the locker room after they won. Um, the ALCS? Yeah, the ALCS. And she reported on something having to do with, um, I believe, a, a comment by the assistant GM. Um, it, it was it was really unnecessary, and it was centered around like domestic violence and domestic abuse to the female reporters in the room. And I'm, I'm sure that you've been in many places where you've been with people who are easy to deal with and are who are not easy to deal with. Um, what, what's your take on that and the climate for reporters, whether it be male or female, and covering men's sports or women's sports? Well, fortunately, I haven't been around quite somebody who has that level of idiocy as, um, <laughs> as, as that person from, from the Houston franchise. Uh, you know, probably because I deal mostly in women's sports, um, you know, people are respectful. I mean, and everyone I cover, um, and even if it's male coaches or male GMs or male presidents, you know, they're part of a, a franchise that's empowering women and uh, that is supporting women. So for the most part, uh, you know, they're great. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad I wouldn't, I w I'm not in those kind of circumstances. I don't know that I would handle it with the level of, um, of professionalism <laughs> that would be required, you know, like that's obviously a complete reflection on that person. Um, and, uh, you know, what that person stands for. And, um, you know, I think when you read about that story, uh, you get a pretty accurate, uh, description of, of who that guy is. Yeah. So, Rebecca, we talked about how this WNBA season had, like, something to it, like some, some type of magic to it, and whether that is capitalizing on the U.S. women's national team success from, from FIFA, or is it just the caliber of players in general, like Elena Deladon? Is, is this the WNBA's moment? Because I've seen a lot, of, a lot of comments from players, coaches, reporters, that, like, this year and this season is, is the WNBA's moment. What do you think about that? I think that I, I agree with that, but I think it started a year ago. There was just a feeling around the WNBA um, that started to percolate last year that was a little bit new, and that is that it was kind of being treated like this is a cool thing. You know, the play on the court has been really, really, really good for the last few years, and especially if you go back, you know, four years um, when it was Minnesota and Los Angeles a couple years in a row playing in, in these unbelievably competitive final series that were going to five games and multiple games were being won by last-second shots. Like the basketball was, uh, you know, elite basketball that we were watching, and, and you're in front of these sellout crowds and there's a buzz about it. But it was really last year that there was this feeling that it was kind of becoming a little bit more mainstreaming that it, and there was a, a bit of a coolness factor to it mainstream as well. And and, you know, this year there's more outlets covering not just the play on the court, but, you know, what are these women wearing as they're walking into the arenas? You know, what is their style today? What's on their feet? Um, th there was a different vibe and a coolness factor around it the past two seasons that feels like it's really building. And um, and hopefully, you know, that carries over into, you know, more people on the stands, more people watching on TV, all of that, because the product for the last bunch of years but in particular you know this is the third our third finals in the last i think four years that's gone the full five games the product is is there the the 
the talent, the elite level of play is there. And it just feels like there's stuff around the game that's that's now in the last two years growing and becoming bigger. Yeah, I mean, we've seen the Brooklyn Nets kind of do that with the recent um, revamp of their, their stadium and their jerseys and just like like bringing attention to like, oh, it's the Brooklyn way. And now that the New York Liberty is is permanently at the at the Barclays, I think that there's there's a big opportunity for for the Liberty to do the same, the same thing as the Nets are doing, just like like. You know, compliment yeah. on that coolness factor. People are talking. Yep. People in New York City are talking about the Brooklyn Nets. They're not talking about yeah. the Knicks. <laughs> yeah, nobody cares about the Knicks. Everybody's like, "Wow, the Nets are so cool!" You know, going to Barclays. Yeah, I mean, just really yeah, games. for sure. And part of that is where they play. It's what their court look like looks like this year. It's what their uniforms look like. It's what they did in free agency by bringing players in. And and I think the Liberty are can completely capitalize on that because not only you know playing in Westchester was was not. Um, the the most fan friendly place to be. It was not the most player friendly place to be. Well, now next year they're going to be in Barclays. They, you know they already were living in Brooklyn this past year. Well, now they're playing their games there. And they've got the number one pick, and that will most likely be Sabrina Ionescu from yes. Oregon, <laughs> who is not only um, you know a supremely talented player, but um, but she kind of has that it factor too. She has a tremendous amount of confidence and a coolness about her, and and. Kind of like a, a personality, a little bit like Diana Taurasi in terms yeah. of, you know, we'll say what she feels and it will be interesting. And um, so when those things come together, you already have Tina Charles, you have Asia Durr, was, who was the number two pick last year, who battled some injuries this past season. I mean, they're going to have the ingredients on the court. Um, they're now going to be playing in, in a much, um, much better place to play. So, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see if they can really capitalize kind of on on the momentum that the Nets have uh, bu- have built up. Yeah, now going off that, so I, I agree. Sabrina is a total brand. Like she is a brand, and athletes nowadays, I mean, it, they are the brand. You've got LeBron James and the Undefeated and Kevin Durant. They all have their platforms. Um, and kind of going off of where we talked about with the WNBA and the the time being now, I've I've started the lawyer and me. Um, was very curious about the current CBA, so I decided to read it. Um, well, I'm halfway through it because it's about 300 pages long. Um, and, you know, reading through it, we've been hearing the players' complaints about the league, you know, not just this season, but in previous seasons, whether it's travel conditions or, you know, pay, um, or even the fact that what blew my mind was that the CBA currently lists pregnancy as a, quote, condition, um, which feels archaic to, to, for that language to be in the, the CBA. Um, the upcoming negotiations are so important. What do you see coming out of the new, the the, the new CBA talks? Um, well, I think the one one really good thing, you know, because anytime there's going to be labor negotiations, you worry. All right, is this going to result in any kind of game stoppage? Will there be a strike? Will there be a lockout? You know, how amicable is this whole negotiation process going to be? And and uh, and I'm really I. I was kind of worried about it until, uh, you know, at some point, maybe in late July, I got a chance to meet Kathy Engelbert, who is the new um, commissioner of the WNBA. And she just instilled so much uh, belief and confidence to me that, that this was going to get done and going to get done in the right way. She's a really dynamic, impressive woman who, uh, as she was saying to us, she's like, you know, normally when two groups come to negotiate for a labor agreement, she said they want different things. She said, what's unique about this is that the the league, the WNBA league and the players want the same thing. They want the players to be able to make more money. They want there to be better traveling conditions. Uh, they want, you know, they want there to be 
uh, you know, a re-energy, a, a re-energy, or it's um, not a word, but just an, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just many like words they, they want everyone exist. to be uh, re-energized around the league, whether it's the players or the the, the league. And so, it um, you know, there's things obviously that they have to negotiate, and and there's a couple things to me that. Um, that aren't even things that cost a lot of money. You know, in the 2018 season, the season ended a month earlier because of the, the Euro Cup or the World Championships. And uh, and so the players played their same 34-game schedule, but in, I think it was five fewer weeks. They had games, uh, you know, sometimes five games in a week. It was too much. It was too much on their bodies. That's something that the players need to have in the CBA, you know, that we can only play this many games in this many days. Uh, that, that's a thing that impacts a player in a big way and has no cost to the league. Uh, should they, you know, when they're going from coast to coast with a day in between games in the playoffs, be able to charter? Yes, in those circumstances, that should be allowed. Well, look what happened this year. That was the exact circumstance um, that happened between the second round and the semifinals starting. And so the league stepped up and provided a charter for the teams that were going from the West Coast to the East Coast. They understood the importance of it. So I think there's a lot that can be negotiated that might not necessarily uh, cost dollars, but that will make a, a big have a big improvement for the players. Another one is, you know, I think a player in this current CBA can be cored four times, which means even when you would normally become an unrestricted free agent, a team has what they can call a core designation, which means you belong to them. You can, you're not truly a free mm -hmm. agent. Well, if you can be cored three or four times, that puts you almost at the end of your career if you're mm -hmm. a top player before you can actually, um, you know, go to a different team or, or explore different options. And so that's something that the players, I'm sure, will be negotiating and try to limit the how many times a player can be cored. Again, that's not costing money, but it's, it's a lifestyle improvement for the players. So, uh, you know, of course, increasing salaries is going to be a big part of it. Kathy Engelbert came in, and, and one of her strengths coming in as the commissioner of the league is that she's a person who can go out and get sponsorships. Well, if she's able to do that and more of that revenue, revenue is generated, well, then great. The players will be able to increase their salary. But it's not just the overall dollars. It's the salary structure, too. You know, maybe there should be a couple super max type of players who can earn a lot more money, um, even if that doesn't completely change the overall pool of money that each team has to use. So um, I think there's a lot that can be done to make it better for the players while still being economically feasible and reasonable for the ownership. Yeah. No, it's, it's so interesting about Kathy Engelbert, too, because I, I felt the same thing when, when she took over. Um, there was, uh, like, that word that you said, uh, there was a re-energy. <laughs> um, we'll make it a thing. Yeah, it's a thing. Um, with her, and I, we saw, we were at the Liberty game when they played at Barclays, and she was there, and she, she just, there's something about her. She's obviously very intelligent, and like you said, coming into these negotiations um, with the Players Association and the league, wanting the same thing so i think you're right that's a unique unique situation um and i saw recently just something more current is skylar diggins tweeted out that she played the entire season pregnant and didn't tell anyone um under the current cba like that's a problem like her doing that because pregnancy is a condition uh quote unquote condition and she should have dis disclosed that yeah i mean to the those are the type of things too and while they seem uh they could seem minor um you know somebody decided to enforce that that's her career. It's just, right. it's so, it's just, it's an interesting time. 
Yeah, no, it sure is. And, and you know, but at the, on the same token, you know, Skylar this year did get paid her full salary. You know, the team did not put her on, I don't know what it's even called, conditional status or whatever, <laughs> where she would have gotten half her salary. Like the, the team, in, in my mind, did the right thing yeah. this year, even though she didn't play. Um, paid her as you know as she was dealing with I think she's talked about dealing with postpartum and yeah, and, yeah. and trying to come back so um but yeah w- without question there there are things that need to be um, you know things that need to be negotiated but I, I really am optimistic that um, that because both the both both sides want the same thing and you have a dynamic leader I think who really can bring in more sponsorship dollars to the league um, I believe that it's gonna gonna be done and 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 it needs to be because, you know, as we we're talking about earlier, this feels like it's a place in this league where it's it's getting, to, you know, to the proverbial tipping point where it could really explode. And um, and it would be a shame if there was anything that kind of marred that momentum. OK, I agree. Yeah, <laughs> I'm with you. So you, you talked about Rebecca, you talked about um, <clears throat> the schedule that the WNBA had and how how taxing it was on the players. Um, I recently read an article, but I know that this has been an issue for a long time in the NBA, that the players have had a sleep deprivation problem for a long time. Like it's a very well known secret. Um, and their their tight schedules al- allow for very little repairing and recovering sleep, which is super essential for, for prof- professional athletes. Um, with the amount of games that the WNBA had in, in such a short period of time last year, is this a problem that we also see in the WNBA? Um, well, that's interesting. You know, uh, a couple of years ago, um, when Jenny Busick was the head coach of the Seattle Storm, this is the the season before they won the championship. So they won the championship in 18. So this would have been 2017. Um, She did a couple things like their, their shoot around. So most basketball teams, when they have a game at seven or eight at night and that morning at 10 or 11 in the morning, they come in for an hour and have a shoot around where it's kind of like an hour long practice where you go over your game plan, how you're going to defend the other team and get shots up, that sort of thing. Well, Jenny um, made that optional for her team because she wanted, she was very in tune to the importance of sleep. So if players would be better off sleeping, then, um, then they didn't have to go to shoot around. She also did something where, um, anytime the day after a game, when you're traveling to the next city, oftentimes teams will take a really early flight. Well, she got rid of that. She said, it's more important to me that our team gets their sleep. And then they would take, you know, midday flights to the next city. Um, but I think she was kind of the exception to the rule. I haven't, you know, I ha- certainly haven't seen other teams um, not doing shoot arounds. And I haven't heard about other teams, um, you know, focusing more on sleep. So you wonder that could be, again, that could be another one of those negotiating points that um, doesn't cost any money, but players say this is important to us. We want to make sure that uh, we don't have. Uh, flights at seven in the morning when we live an hour from the airport or whatever it's going to be. But um, I haven't heard too many players talking about that, um, except for a couple years ago when when we heard people talking about how different Jenny Busick's approach uh, was to it. Yeah, and I've I've heard a bunch of um, reports from from NBA players saying that you know they it's it's very popular that they would take a nap before their night games before their 7 or 8 yeah. um, p.m. games which you know I, I don't know when i when i take a nap and this has also been like you know scientifically um, researched but when you take a nap it's not really re- repairing sleep so it kind of has it doesn't really have the intended effect it just like 
you feel like you're catching up on sleep, but you're not. You're not actually. And I know that's that's a popular thing for the NBA, and I'm sure it is for the WNBA. Well, what's um, um, one of the nice things is that the techno- There's so much better technology that can help you access that. So a bunch of the players wear the Whoop bands, yeah, which which yes. tell them you know how much Those sleep they're getting, how much they need to get. You know they'll they'll wear them in practice. They can't wear them in games, but. They're wearing them all day, and and a lot more players now too are uh, having. And I'm not too well versed in it, but but having DNA testing done that helps them know exactly what kind of foods um, they should be eating because of their genetic makeup wow. that can help oh, wow. them uh, recover better, help them prevent injury. Um, you know, so it's not just diet and sleep, but there's genetic testing being done for these players as well. So there's a lot more. Um, resources for them to tap into and um and you know that's the reason i think that like players like sue bird and diana trossi two of the oldest players in the league are still able to play at a certain level although this year they were dealing with some injuries but um play at a certain level because they have so much more knowledge and um and you know they're just older and smarter and taking better care of their bodies but they know now how to exactly take care of their bodies and and that's information that wasn't available to me when I was, you know, playing in yeah. the early 2000s. That's insane. I'm adopted, so I got my DNA tested to just find out, you know, what my ethnicity was. But, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, wow, to use that for the, the technology, like you said, is so advanced. Um, all right. So speaking of players, um, who is the most fun player you've ever like? Who is the most fun player you've ever had a good time with? <laughs> <laughs> You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of fun players. The most fun active player right now is that just because I've spent time around her because she's older is Sue Bird. Um, She and I actually played on like a semi pro team together near the end of my career and right after she got out of UConn. And she's just a delight to be around. She's hilarious. She's smart. She um, she has opinions, uh, is kind. She's like all of the things you would want somebody to be. And at the same time, very, very funny. Um, going back to my playing days, the funniest person and player I've ever, ever was around was Sue Wicks. She was a teammate of mine with the New York Liberty and one of those players who just had a biting, cutting and perfectly timed sense of humor. Uh, it makes sense. She's a New Yorker. She's from Long Island. She had that whole vibe to her. Um, so she was just fun and delightful to be around. Um, and, you know, the little bit of, I've been around Elena Deladon. She is another one who is, um, funny but also at the same time kind and caring and awesome and everything you kind of want a superstar to be i see she's thriving right now on a boat in an island according to her instagram (laughs) she is living like well deserved she's living her best her best life right now yeah yeah dressing up as pinocchio to go to the (laughs) disney theme stuff yeah it was was toga night that's that's the last one i saw it was toga night (laughs) yeah she's definitely a good follow on instagram for sure Thank you so much for joining us today. In case you didn't know, Rebecca and her husband have their own podcast called Ball and Chain. It's incredible. You should check it out. We'll link it. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter and subscribe on Apple and Spotify. We are calling games.